tomorrow night on the PBS series American Experience, a marvelous new documentary airs called Freedom Summer, which looks back on the summer of 1964 when approximately 1,000 white students from the North came down to Mississippi at the invitation of SNCC, the uh, Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, to be part of a very uh, concerted effort to try and get more blacks in Mississippi to register for, to vote. At that point in time, uh, a paltry 7% of uh, the African Americans in Mississippi were registered to vote, even though there was a huge black population there. Uh, it was the result of decades of repression and even outright terrorism, which uh, left uh, so many blacks there uh, terrified at the thought of even trying to vote. Uh, it was an extraordinary undertaking, and uh, although it achieved some success, that success came at a high cost. And uh, a fine film has been made about Freedom Summer, and it comes from the talent of, of many people, but uh, chiefly Stanley Nelson, its writer, producer, and director. I've had the pleasure of uh, speaking uh, twice before to Stanley Nelson about two of his previous films, Freedom Riders and Jonestown, The Life and Death of the People's Temple. He's also responsible for another film uh, that I remember vividly called The Murder of Emmett Till. His newest film, Freedom Summer, airs tomorrow night on American Experience. And Stanley Nelson, we welcome you to The Morning Show. Uh, thank you so much. I'm excited to speak with you again. The film is fantastic. It tells a story that I suspect a lot of Americans have just kind of a vague recollection of. And uh, I suppose uh, you know that as well as anyone, that this is one of those really important stories that needs to be better known by Americans of today. Uh, yeah, that, that's true. I, I think for, for most people, if they know anything about it, they kind of know the names of Cheney, Schwerner, and Goodman, the three uh, young men who were part of Freedom Summer who, who disappeared and, and were eventually found dead, but the kind of ins and outs and roller coaster ride that was Freedom Summer, I think, you know, the vast majority of Americans don't know. Hmm. I touched on this, but I think you can do a, a much better job of explaining the state of affairs in the state of Mississippi in the early 1960s, uh, an especially bad situation for uh, African Americans, which ultimately led to... Uh, to this really unconventional approach to, to, to addressing the problem. Just how bad were things for the blacks of Mississippi at this point in time? Well, you know, even, even um, if you compare the other southern states, you know, uh, around Mississippi, Georgia, Alabama, uh, Mississippi was still a special case. Mississippi, even in the civil rights movement, uh, the civil rights leaders felt that you know you couldn't go into Mississippi. That you kind of had to skirt around Mississippi, and that eventually, eventually, we'll get to Mississippi. Mississippi was uh, a terrorist state. It was it was very different from kind of the mob rule that you had in Alabama. You know, we had the Ku Klux Klan. In Mississippi, it was all sanctioned by the state. So there was something called the Citizens Council, which people have called the Uptown Klan, which was sanctioned by by the state of Mississippi, and, and, and these were, you know, um, the respectable citizens of Mississippi, the bankers, the newspapermen, uh, people like that, who, um, if you 
stepped out of line, anything could happen to you. They they were in uh, cahoots with the police. Um, people who tried even tried to register to vote, they would go. Uh, African Americans would go down and try to register to vote. They they'd be denied ninety nine percent of the time. But then your name would appear in the paper. They put your name in the paper in a little box. You know, these are the people who tried to register to vote this month, and and uh, you know you could be kicked off your property. Your if you had a, a small loan from the bank, they'd call in your loan. Um, you'd be fired from your job. You know, anything could happen. Then this is just for trying to register to vote. I think the thing to understand about Mississippi, one of the reasons why it was so bad was that Mississippi, um, unlike anywhere else in the country, had an African-American population of almost 50%. So black people made up about half the population of the state. And it was thought by everyone, everyone white in Mississippi, that if we bend an inch, then... Black people will take over the state, and what they always called our way of life will be ruined. Hmm. One of the most striking things about your film is that you include, among those we hear from, white Mississippians. Uh, and, And there's a combination. There's certain snatches of video footage from the day, but you also have certain elderly white Mississippians talking about what their attitudes were then. And in the case of at least uh, one elderly gentleman, we kind of have this sneaking suspicion that he holds a very similar sort of attitude, perhaps, to this very day. I wonder if you could just say a word about what it was like uh, to encounter somebody like that. I don't know if you were specifically the person sitting across from them and hearing from them or interviewing them, but... What was it like to uh, include those voices one way or another in the telling of this story? Um, I, I think it was, I actually was the one sitting, sitting across from him doing the interview. But I, and I think it was really, really important to have him and, and have that attitude in the film. One of the things that, that we're, we're trying to, to do in the film is, is to make you understand as an audience, you know, what, what were people, white people in Mississippi back there think? I think that's really important you know, um, to try to get that other side, to try to get a rounded story. So we're very fortunate in finding uh, this gentleman, William Scarborough, who who does today still hold many of those uh, opinions that, that he held back in the 60s and is very vocal about it and is very known for being being vocal about it. And, you know, he's a, he's a former college professor, a former history teacher. So it's not, you know, we found some, you know, uh, redneck farmer, you know, and dragged him up. But this is a guy who's who's very intelligent and and speaks from from that point of view. And in some ways it's chilling, but also I think it's insightful because it it, it gives you a a look into the minds of Mississippians back then. Right. And uh, he is really helping to understand what one guest in the program, maybe it's him, (laughs) calls a siege mentality. The fact that for white Mississippians, they viewed these efforts to get blacks to to be registered to vote uh, as just the first stage in what was ultimately going to be an invasion in which they would be displaced from their own state. And uh, it begins to make a sort of a terrible sort of sense why they would respond uh, as they did. Right. What happened was was that in the spring of 64, you know, word kind of 
slowly leaked out that there was going to be this thing called Freedom Summer. And, and uh, many white Mississippians just, you know, panicked and, and grew really fearful that there was going to be this kind of invasion of the state and, and, and violence. And, and what was so strange was, you know, violence caused by the nonviolent uh, Mississippi summer participants. So they went as far as, as uh, the, the city of Jackson uh, commissioned a tank and, and, and bought a tank with gun slits and, and practiced, you know, throwing grenades out of, out of the tank and, and then shooting through the rifle slits. And, 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 and they bought kind of mobile jail so they could uh, incarcerate vast numbers of people, you know, at one time. But also at that, at that period, what happens is the Klan also starts to rise in Mississippi again, you know, in, in, in response to this Freedom Summer, which is coming. And, and the violence starts in the spring and continues all through the summer, all of it instigated by the white population of Mississippi. Mm. We're speaking with uh, Stanley Nelson about the superb documentary Freedom Summer, which is airing tomorrow night on the PBS series American Experience. So this group called the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee, they had brought little by little more and more people into the state of, of, uh, of Mississippi in 1960, 61, 62, 63. This all seems to have started largely from the efforts of somebody we hear from in your film, um, namely Bob Moses. And uh, he... Uh, had this idea, and he and others, of perhaps bringing in a gigantic force of workers from the North. Tell us, by and large, who ultimately answered this call to head down to Mississippi in the summer of 1964 to be part of this enormous effort to get more blacks in Mississippi registered to vote. Well, if I could, let me backtrack a moment and just talk a little bit about Bob Moses, because he's just a fascinating character in, in the history of the civil rights movement. You know, he was actually a math teacher in New York City and grew up in New York City. And in 1961, he goes down to Mississippi. And, and there the people tell him, you know, that, that we don't want to do sit-ins. We don't, we, there, there, there's, there's no real restaurants in rural Mississippi. There's no buses to ride. We don't need to integrate buses. But we want to vote because we realize that, that we're 50% of the population, and if we get the right to vote, then many of the things that are wrong we can write just by simply voting. And he starts to work to register people to vote, first pretty much alone um, through 1961 to 64, and then with a handful, maybe 20 other uh, young people from, from the Student Nonviolent Coordinating Committee. They're trying to register people to vote in Mississippi, and they have very little success because of, of, of the repercussions that can happen if you simply try to register to vote. They decide in 64 to bring this massive amount between 700 and 1,000 college students, mostly northern college students, mostly white college students, into Mississippi to work uh, registering people to vote and to have what they call freedom schools and to do a couple of other things. So the, the people who come to Mississippi are, again, mostly white, mostly college students, most, mostly northerners, who decide, in, as somebody says in the film, instead of working a crummy job during the summer, they would devote their summer to trying to change Mississippi. One of the most striking points made in the film is that 
many of these students, maybe just about all of them, really had no sense of what they were getting themselves into. They were fueled and inspired by old-fashioned idealism uh, coupled with a little bit of naivete about just what kind of situation awaited them. And, uh, and, and for those who, in a sense, did the, did the choosing about who, who would actually come down to Mississippi, uh, choosing the, a few from the many applicants, uh, clearly they had some sense, too, that this was going to be a difficult task and not just anybody was going to be able to do this work well. I especially appreciated a couple of the organizers that we hear from in your film who talk about this. Talk about just how challenging this was and what a tricky matter it was to try to bring the right sort of folks down to Mississippi and how, in some respects, even being careful didn't mean you had people who were going to be equal to this challenge. Yeah, I, I, I think that, that you, know, you have to understand that, that the, the volunteers for Freedom Summer were college students, so they range from you know, 17 to 21 or so. So these are all really young people. They're all from the North, and they had no understanding, really, of what Mississippi was like. Few people understood what Mississippi was like. You know, it wasn't reported in the news in the North what was happening in Mississippi. You know, lynchings uh, that, that happened in Mississippi were not even reported in the news in the North. So people didn't have, have a, a clear understanding of Mississippi. It was hard to have an understanding of Mississippi. I mean, these were people who, you know, a few years earlier during the Freedom Rides, you know, threw bombs on buses just because people were sitting next to each other, white and black people were sitting next to each other on a bus. So one of the things that that, uh, the organizers of Freedom Summer did was they brought everybody to a college campus in Oxford, Ohio, and had a training session of of a week and tried to train uh, the volunteers, tried to give them a sense of what Mississippi was like. But, you know, there was nothing that that, that you could really do to, to make, you know, young northern college students understand Mississippi. The other thing that, that, that I should say that added to that was that the, the, where they had to stay in Mississippi was with black families in the black community in these rural towns all over Mississippi. So the 700 people, that seven 800 people that finally went to Mississippi fanned out all over Mississippi. And, and were in, you know, in little groups in rural towns all over Mississippi, and they had to stay in, in African-American homes. So what that did was, you know, it, the white community knew just who they were. You know, all of a sudden you have five or six white college students staying in this black part of town, and they knew just who they were and, and knew just what they were there for. So it, it, it kind of also singled them out. Um, and, and made them, you know, real kind of targets with a neon light flashing on them that, that this is who they are, this is why they're here. Mm. Well, speaking of targets, of course, three of these uh, workers in this effort disappear. And I believe it was relatively early in the summer. Um, tell us about that disappearance and what kind of chilling effect it had on this, uh, this whole undertaking. Right. Well, um, the the three workers, Cheney, Schwerner, and Goodman, uh, 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 James Cheney was an African-American from Mississippi, and uh, 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 Schwerner and Goodman were were volunteers. They were all in um, Ohio at the training session, and they find out that a church has been bombed. 
And so they uh, rushed back to Mississippi. This is a day before um, most of the volunteers are, are going down. It's a day before the session ends, but they go down to investigate uh, uh, this church burning a day earlier. And they get there uh, in the evening, and the next day they disappear. They disappear off the face of the earth. And this kind of colors the whole summer because their bodies are not found until, until August. And so this is in June when they disappear. And this is cast a pall over the whole, over the whole summer because um, you know, nobody knows what's happened to them. You know, it, it, it becomes front-page news all over the country um, and all over the world that, that these three guys have disappeared you know, before Freedom Summer is even really started. It's great that your film can in- include the really poignant, articulate testimony of Rita Schwerner, Whose uh, whose husband was was one of those three who who disappeared, and uh, her courage in the face of of such sorrow uh, is is a real source of inspiration. As is uh, the moment when we hear the words that she wrote in the essay, in which she explained why she was so anxious to be part of this effort. Uh, time and time again in the film, as we hear from the the people who who were willing to undertake this mission, uh, just have this sense again and again of, of, of seeing, in a sense, America at its best. Yeah, I mean, Rita Schwerner and, and, and Mickey Schwerner were just incredible people. And one of the things we use in the film, as you mentioned, was, was her, her kind of application to be part of the, of the movement in Mississippi. And she one of the, 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 the lines is just so poignant. She says that, you know, one of the reasons why she wants, she and her husband want to go is, is so that they, they can make yeah, a better world for her children that are c- going to come after. Mm. In fact, one of my favorite moments visually in the film when uh, finally these uh, students are in Mississippi and calling on various homes in this canvassing effort, there's one image we see of one of these students talking to someone and in the edge of the frame, we see a, a, a young little boy uh, sort of edging into the picture. And we realize, even in that moment without a narrator sort of telling us, that uh, this effort is not just about these adult Mississippians, but it's about their children and their grandchildren and the way in which the whole landscape of Mississippi might be changed. Yeah, I, I think one of the... the, the really wonderful parts of the story is, is the children you know in mississippi as as they say you know they they had never seen white people who who as one person said you know we had never seen white people who had, who were coming to help you know they they all they had ever seen was was white people kind of holding them back and and i mean it, you know and it was that stark in mississippi i mean you never saw anybody who, who was trying to help and, and so this was very different you know there's there's one guy in, in the film who, who was a kid who who went to what they called freedom school so that summer one of the things they, they did because they had you know uh, up, upwards of 700 volunteers as they set up these freedom schools where where they were taught different subjects they, that they weren't taught in, in in the public schools I mean in the public schools in Mississippi they weren't allowed to teach african-american history they weren't allowed to teach African any african-american literature they didn't know that there were any African Americans who ever wrote books or wrote plays, 
So they actually put on plays and read books and talked about African American history. And, and one of the guys who was a, a kid at the time, he was you know under ten, you know, talks about what that meant to his to his life. And at the end of the film, you know, he reveals that he's now a PhD. You know, and and what that did to him, just being exposed to different people and to different things during that summer of 1964. I wonder if you could say a word about an extremely important point made about the tensions that existed between uh, these students uh, from the North and uh, and some of the the black representatives or organizers or those who were already kind of on the ground down in the South, uh, in, in the early part of this, of, of this project. Uh, it, it's in some ways not the headline of, of this whole story, but I think it's an important part of the story, and I'm so glad that you talk about it. Yeah, I, I think for us, you know, making a film, it 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 it, it means that that this wasn't, you know, just a, a Pollyanna moment, a kumbaya moment. I mean, there was real tension between the SNCC workers, the workers who had been in Mississippi, and the volunteers, and there was a real, you know, debate about whether they should even bring the volunteers down. There was a feeling from from the majority of the SNCC workers that, you know, we are here on the ground, and what we are doing is, is, is we are, are creating a, a force of, of, of African-American Mississippians who are going to change their own destiny. And it's, a, it's slow work, but we're doing it. And if we bring in all these white volunteers, we're now um, putting the work back in the hands of white people. So to give an example of, of, of what they feared, you know, you might have an have a African-American high school student in, in Mississippi typing up a newsletter. Now, it might take that, that person, you know, all day to type up a newsletter, but they did it. They did it themselves. Now you bring a, a white kid from Harvard in, and they can type that newsletter in a half hour, but it takes the power away from the African-American population of Mississippi. And so this became a real debate about whether they should actually do this Freedom Summer and whether it made sense to, to have Freedom Summer. And what actually swayed uh, um, the day was the African-American Mississippians who were part of the movement who said, wait a minute, we want any help that we can get. They said, look, all of you people who are helping us, you know, Bob Moses, Charlie Cobb, the, the stick workers, you guys aren't Mississippians, and we love your help, and we need your help. Why wouldn't we need more help? We want these people to come. And once they said that, what, what could the SNCC and core workers do? What could they say? They had to say, you know, what, what we're trying to do is, is build a, a cadre of people here in Mississippi who are determining their own destiny. And they've now determined that they want this to happen, that they want these white people to, ha- to come down here and help. So let's do it. And that's really what, what moved them to, to uh, say, okay, we're going to have Freedom Summer. The film ultimately tells the story of those dramatic mass meetings and uh, the dramatic events which unfold at the uh, Democratic uh, Convention and ultimately the signing of the Voters' Rights Act from uh, a year later, uh, which brings all of this to uh, at least something of a positive conclusion and also steers the whole civil rights movement in a slightly different direction. A very important story from our recent history told in this film, Freedom Summer. 
airing tomorrow night on American Experience, the writer, producer, director, Stanley Nelson. Mr. Nelson, congratulations on yet another fine film, and thank you for joining me today on The Morning Show. Thank you so much.